to, uh, you know, now we're, we're going to move into what I call the rapid fire segment. The rapid fire segment of the jazz piano skills. Yeah, suddenly we have technical problems because <laughs> I don't right. want to answer a question. <laughs> oh, can't hear you. <laughs> right. So, um, so the rapid fire se- session here, I'm going to throw out some musical terms, some musical skills. And I want you to, as succinctly and concisely as possible, speak to the students, the Jazz Piano Skills listeners, and kind of give them your do's and your don'ts with regards to this particular topic or skills. Okay. All right? So I'm, I'm going to start. I would say I'm going to start easy, but it's not easy. I, I'm just going to throw it out. Scales. Everybody talks about scales. So, Bert Ligon, what are your do's and don'ts? Uh, that's a, I figured that's a great place to start. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I could play an instrument without learning scales um, because if we go back to, to what we're really trying to do, we're trying to play melodies and you can only play melodies either with steps or with leaps. So that it indicates at some point I'm going to need to practice steps, which are scales and leaps, which are arpeggios. So it's fundamental. So you that's can't right. get, that's like that basic baseball skill. You got to practice that. Do it, you cannot do though. Here's the do's and the don'ts. What you cannot do is think that that is studying harmony or that is studying melodic development. It is kind of like just the, um, the spice rack and certainly you have to know it. So I spent years practicing scales and I'll, I'll admit that I don't practice scales at all anymore, but I do practice arpeggios. And when I practice arpeggios, I connect the arpeggiated notes with passing tones. And to me, I think that may be even a better way to think of scales is to think of them as like um, a way to to get to the arpeggiated notes. Right. So. um, Yeah, got it. Right. Is this coming across? It's coming across, yes. That's a Beethoven theme from a cello, uh, piano quint. Piano tree, I think. Well, that's a scale, but it's landing on the. It, that's his way of saying this. And then here's another piece that everybody knows. Some people. I was just, just going to say that they're, they're going to hear that as a scale, but but it really is. We'll edit Correct. out my singing, right? Um, but, but so then I want to really think about scales then as, as a way to get to these points. So um, here's my Google maps thing. I'm trying to get from here to here. Right. The important thing is my starting point and my end point, And I can right. choose the scenic route. I can take the freeways or whatever. That's the scales or arpeggios possible analogy. Yeah. And I'm shooting from the, from the hip here, but yeah. um, the too many people start thinking that every, every chord symbol or everything has to do with playing a scale when it would be better to think maybe what is the one note I want to play here? Correct. And then right. use scales and arpeggios to get there. But fundamentally, right. yeah, you have to play, play scales to, to, to work out issues of what the hands do with the piano and right. Hands are symmetrical and so is the piano, you know? And, right. Right. And I always, I always talk to students about scales, practicing scales with always a, a an intentional entry point and a, an intentional destination point. You know, mm-hmm. everybody wants to practice scales from the root to the root. And I'm always like, no, you know, I don't want you to go root to root. How about root to seven? Or how about third to nine? Or how about right. fifth to, right. you know, how about some kind of entry point, some destination point? And then what arpeggio coincides mm-hmm. with, with with that, yeah, you know? Right. Yeah, so. I think, and the way we teach scales in classes and in piano lessons, everything is, is this root to root thing, because it's, it's easy to talk about that way, but most melodies don't start. Well, that's exactly, well, that's exactly right. And, and I mean, those two that I just played did, but, but, you know, you think about just little folk songs like that. They a lot of times start on the five and, and, or, you know, the national anthem or some of these things. So yeah, practicing from some melodic intent point. Yeah, and, and plus I think that if you're if you're always practicing the scale from the root to the root, you're doing such a disservice to the ear, right? How about yeah. you know if, if yeah. I practice from the root to the seventh, my I'm listening for that seventh. If I'm right. if I'm practicing something to you know from the fifth to the ninth, I'm listening for the fifth to the ninth. You know, my ears are starting to hear these relationships. Well, someone asked me the other day, another college teacher about I think we were talking about, you know, some melodic minor arpeggio stuff, which 
this may be too deep for this conversation, but the point, he was asking me, how do I have them practice it for this tune? And I say, I have them practice the arpeggios from the melody note in every measure. Yeah, Instead right. of going, okay, this is a right. uh, such and such chord, so I'm going to play from root to root. No, find the melody note and then frame it with the Correct. arpeggio and or the scale. Because then that's what, if we call, uh, let's say Stella, and we're calling Stella because it's a beautiful melody, and we want to hear that melody. So I practice any kind of scale motion or arpeggio motion from from that rather than right. root to root. That's not my job. Correct. That's Correct. not what I hear when I hear any tune. I don't hear root to root. I hear the melody. You know. <laughs> right. You know. And, right. and yet, as, as as musicians, sometimes we we get so so skewed. You know, what's that tune? And the piano player will start hollering off a bunch of chord changes. You know, the bass player's thinking boom, root fifths, and <laughs> anybody else in the world, they're thinking of the lyrics and the melody. You know? right. That's right. And so, oh. let's go back to I go back to that a lot. So that's my thing on scales. I won't go any further. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. All right, here's another here's another topic that I think is, um, in my opinion, I think is probably the most complicated or confusing skill set for uh, any aspiring jazz pianist. Um, everybody seems to struggle with the concept of voicings. Hmm. What are voicings? What are good voicings? What, how should you practice voicings? So, so that what happens to pr help students so that voicings, I always say, if you're not careful, voicings can become like fishing line. They can get tangled up real quickly. So what is your advice? Do's and don'ts for students as they approach the study of voicings. Okay, when when I first started figuring out voicings and I didn't have formulas, I didn't have any books, I didn't have anybody telling me these are the good voicings. But when I would find one that I thought worked, and and looking back, most of them did. You know, All right. I was approaching it as uh, if there was a five note chord. I looked at that as five voices. All right. And I listened to every voice as it went through. So even even if I'm just talking about a left hand. Top note really is a beautiful line. Right, right. And where the ear, I, I can play these for my students in a class that don't know anything about theory and they're not thinking theory, but they can sing the next note because it's a logical, it, it right. goes where it should go. So while right. I was playing voicings and practicing a two five cycle or whatever cycle I'd figured out, you know, I would have to practice it several times to get my fingers to play in the right spot. Right, like we all do. We have to practice many times. You can't just do it once and think I got it. Right. And then I would take it to the new keys. But what I would do is I would play this cycle five times in this key. And every time I would sing one of the voices. Ah. So that I wasn't just playing an F down here with my thumb. I was singing the F and hearing how it eventually resolved wow. to the E. Very good. Right. And then I would do the same thing. You know, I'm thinking about like a those are five voices. And instead of thinking chunk, 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 I'm thinking five individual linear motions. Correct. Right. And I didn't know that this was a good thing. Now looking back, <laughs> I think, man, that's a great thing to do. Because I, when I play piano today, I'm still trying to hear those as five individuals that have uh, linear implications. Every time I play a note, it has a linear implication in this context. And so, yeah. So nothing's, nothing's secondary. They're right. all, it's, it's all important. Right. And, yeah. and they, if they are pointing somewhere, then the listener is expecting it. And I can prove that I can go out to a middle school in the middle of Kansas and these kids will know where that note's going to go because there's right. a certain inevitability about it. Right. And if I want to go someplace else, I have to realize that I am playing with someone's expectations. And that may right. be exactly what I want to do right. is do that against the grain thing. But for me, it starts with there are five lines going on. Yeah, right. Wow. And so, you know, I, you know, no matter what I'm doing, um, whatever starting point I am. Now, th there's a lot of stuff going on there. That was that example of like, maybe those notes weren't where you expect them to go, but then the, each one of them in turn has an ev inevitability. Right. So, I mean, if, if we were really going to talk specifics, I mean, I could get down to where I start close open left right hand, this right. that and the other but at the whole time i'm i'm trying to to hear lines and when i'm accompanying myself 
with a solo, I'm still thinking about these as lines, even if I'm yeah. only playing two or three notes down uh -huh. here. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, and not just oh, I stab. Here's a here's a shell I throw down on the piano. I mean, that they are shells, and I am throwing down on the piano, but I'm still trying to be aware of them, how they fit into the musical line, and how they coordinate with, um, you know, whatever else is going right. on. Right. So. Is, I don't know if I addressed specifically uh, uh, voicing questions, but yeah, you know. no. And, and uh, you know, and then practicing them, though, when you do find like I, the muscle memory, right? Repetition, mm -hmm. repetition, repetition, going back to like the baseball drills again. Right. right. You have to get you have to uh, play these. What I call I, I, I tell students all the time, we play shapes and sounds, mm -hmm. shapes right. and sounds. So be aware of the shapes, be aware of the sounds. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, okay. Go ahead. you have another comment on that? No. I probably, probably will. Okay. <laughs> All right. So here's another topic. This, this is every student wants to know this. Uh, what are some do's and don'ts about approaching tune study, practicing tunes, working on developing repertoire as a jazz player? That's a great one. Uh, there's a thousand lists online you can find of standards that everybody should know and, right. and they overlap and stuff and we can figure out what, what they are. But uh, so start with those. If you don't know some of those top 10 tunes, you start with those. If you're going to jam sessions and you hear people call a tune that you don't know, by tomorrow night at eight o'clock, you should know the tune. <laughs> right. And I, I'd be surprised how many kids will come out to a jam session and a pretty standard tune is called and the next week they still don't know the tune i don't understand what they're thinking yeah why I mean, did that you ever happen with me right. i was like so embarrassed that i didn't know every tune that was called you know right so um yeah i don't want to lose track of what i'm what i'm trying to get to here uh, well when you think about that i'll tell you a story i remember in college i went to a jam session with these old jazzers and the the, the room was packed it was crowded all kinds of folks there. In fact, it was in Davenport, Iowa, for, and it was the Bix Beiderbecke Jazz Festival. So there was all these musicians and all these people. And I'm on the piano, and the sax player turns around, and he says, he's counting. He's like, one, uh, this ridiculous tempo, and he says, lady, be good. One, three. <clears throat> and I, I'm on the piano, and I go, I go, uh, Jack, 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 I, 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 I don't know it. And he goes, you do now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you do now. Really, how I learned a lot of tunes is, is on gigs. And, and if the singer called a tune and the bass player looked like he knew it, right. I figured I have the melody and right. the bass note. And yes. if I can't figure out the chord, I shouldn't be up here, you know? And Correct. so I wouldn't, I would, I would pretend I knew tunes that I didn't. Right. And then I would learn them. And usually they're maybe like one chord or like, where does it go for the bridge? What the heck is going on here? Right. And I'd, I'd figure out that the second time and I'd be watching the bass player really tuning in. And then there'd be some point where they come and, and the melody lands on a, on a fifth and he's on a root. I'm going, I don't know if it's major or minor, you know? And I would play these ambiguous, you know, uh, <laughs> right. where if they were, if it was supposed to be an F sharp in there, they would hear it. And if it's supposed to be an F natural, they'd hear it. And then I'd wait for the bass moved and I'd go, oh, it was major. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> maybe it was. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so. But how do you approach when you, okay, so so yeah, so you so okay, you're at a jam session. Somebody calls a tune, you don't know it. You go home. You go. I'm going to know this tune by eight o'clock tomorrow night. What steps do you take to have that tune under your fingers by eight o'clock tomorrow night? Yeah, I think a lot of people are worrying about the chord changes and how right. can I memorize the chord changes? And uh, you know, you play music by this long, and you know that chord changes are kind of liquid anyway. Nobody right. has a lot of changes work to a tune. But here's the thing. All the good ones work with the melody, right? right. <laughs> so right. if you know the melody, right, that's the thing. And right. and even kids, um, uh, even this week, you know, somebody's brought in a great tune and they didn't really know the melody. They've kind of half learned the melody and 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 done something that might have been interesting. What in the melody? This is a Victor Victor Young tune. He doesn't need to be fixed. You know? <laughs> right. Right. You know. <laughs> so just learn it. In fact, this. <laughs> right. Just oh. and it, if you can learn the lyrics too, it helps because then it's not a um, it's not an abstract. It's not a oh that's a it's an A flat. No, it's it's a word. You know, right? Uh, it's uh, you know the days. It could be it's 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 a right, right. Um, and then the chords. I mean, 
yeah. So I would I would have people play the, the tune as simply as possible for one. Right. Uh, until and not trying to do too many cute things with it until they really have the melody learned. And with the, uh, as the students are more and more advanced, right. when we learn a new tune, like a kid comes into my office and and I, I ask them if they know this tune, and they go, uh, "No, I don't know the tune." I, well, let's play it in, in about four or five keys, you know. And this is a jazz level student. I mean, a college level student, and and we play it in you know sometimes up to 12 keys depending on the on the situation right. how much time we have right. because then they're learning the shape of the melody and right. not uh you know uh the days of wine and roses starts on c and goes to a no it doesn't it only works that way if you're playing in the key of f right, right. If i'm playing in b major it's a whole different thing you know right right so so by playing a simple melody simply in as many keys as you can or several keys you don't have to play 12 all the time but but it really helps you learn the piano and learn the melody because if i'm playing a tune and the first thing i'm going to do is play it in 12 keys right by the time i've done that i really know the melody i've played right. it 12 times in relationships and not yeah. just in the key yeah. of f or the key of d in, um, in fact i try to encourage pianists play the melody and Will you please just sit on your left hand? Will you just mm -hmm. please just sit on? I want you. Can you please just think like a horn player for a second? Can you think yeah. like a vocalist yeah. for a second? And just yeah. can you just play the just let's just play the melody. Here's the key. Let's play the melody. Let's not even worry about chord changes. Can we can we play the melody? That's a great. And I completely concur with that. And uh, I also when we first start improvising on this new tune, it's like I don't want to hear any jazz stuff. I want you to improvise right. on the melody. So yes, yeah. yes, right. You, how about improvise with the notes of the melody? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So you can disguise it like you know. Uh... It's still in there somewhere, but we're not, we're not just playing licks or or. Um, right. Right. Randomness. Exactly right. You know, yeah. it's it's funny. I heard toward the end of his life, uh, Dave McKenna, in an interview. Uh, always enjoyed Dave McKenna's playing because like Dave McKenna says, the melody's never too far away. It's all, mm -hmm. it's always there. Right. But I liked what he, you know, in the end, he, he said to the interviewer, the interviewer was referring to him as a jazz pianist and he told him to stop calling him a jazz pianist. <laughs> and, 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 and the interview, what the interviewer said, well, what should I call you? And, and Dave McKenna said, you know, at, at this point in my life, I, I like to think of myself, I'm, I'm a song player. I play songs, <laughs> yeah. melodies. Yeah. I play, yeah. I play melodies. Yeah. Right. I thought, wow, how, how fabulous. Right. I still um, I still feel like that's motivating me when I'm even on a, on a gig, not just in a classroom, but just on a gig. I, I've always got the melody under my fingers and right. everything. And sometimes even when I when I'm off into my cool stuff, <laughs> I realize that I'm landing on the melody note every time. Correct. So I'm I still mean, you, trying you, to frame it. When you when you know the melody, you you could. Here's what's funny, right? If you really know the melody, then the challenge is if somebody said to you, "Okay, now play and don't reference the melody," you'd go like this: "Impossible! I can't do yeah. that." It it yep. it'd be it become hard to not re you can't you, you can't help but to reference it when you know it. Right. right. So it's it, it becomes it becomes very obvious. I think when you listen to somebody improvising or playing, it becomes very obvious that they don't know the melody. Right. Right. That is. Or if they're, yes, and, or if they're just thinking, they're really just thinking of a bunch of chord changes. Like right. I have stuff that I can do over F minor to B flat seven to E flat. Right. Well, the, this tune and this tune are different characters and, and we're <laughs> a different part in the set. And so why play right. the same stuff, you know? Right. Yeah, like, right. That's right. That's exactly and, right. But, you know, we all know, and we've probably all been there too, you know, like at the point where we can't wait to, for the tune to be over so we can just start playing jazz or something. <laughs> and right. then now the old guy's going, yeah, but, but let's, you know, why do we call this tune if we're just going <laughs> to. Right. Right. So, okay. Here, here's another, here's another topic to hit another toughie, right? Uh, do's and don'ts for a student starting off and wanting to develop their ear, ear training, do's and don'ts of ear training. All right. You see this thing? Yes. Um, yeah. So, 
I know, I know. You just think I lost my mind. Um, <laughs> that's where I have them start. All right. Nice. Because that's physics. These notes come out of the air. So it's kind of out of tune, but those are the notes that came out of the tube. So this is the fundamental. And those are the notes. And yeah. so many songs start like that. Dyson Wine Rose. They're all right here, right? Like I could, I could be sitting here just playing over and over and over again. I'm not playing scales. I'm playing the notes out of a right. tube that I got at Lowe's <laughs> or Home Depot. I can't remember. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't matter. So all the other notes that I'm using uh, are notes that point back to these notes, right? Yeah. And if if very uh, good. So. Is that simple Gibbs? Yeah, yeah right. right, right. There's Parker. So I played Mancini, Secret Love, Doris Day's hit from 1954, Amazing Grace, the alma mater from the University of South Carolina, Go Cox. <laughs> you had to get that in there, didn't you? <laughs> Charlie Parker and Simple Gibbs, and I haven't left the notes from the tube, right? Wow. Fabulous. So, Fabulous. So instead of trying to hear 12 pitches or trying to hear intervals, try to find the home pitches that so many tunes are based on, which is yeah. physics. Yeah. It's not because some theory teacher said we need to learn these notes. Right. This is physics that, that I take it to any continent on the planet and it will still ring those same pitches. Yeah. Trumpet rings in those pitches. Strings yeah. vibrate harmonically in those pitches. Right. So I can start there. If I can hear these pitches, I can probably hear that pitch because it wants to point here yeah that's fabulous kind of limited that note i know where it wants to go because i know where these primary pitches are so yeah. I, I break it into primary pitches which are physics diatonic pitches which point back to their yeah. tertiary pitches or, or you know um that that want to point either right yeah. back of <laughs> right. yes you know right well, there's some chromatic notes, but yes, they point back to the primary pitches. So if you're yeah. trying to hear 12 pitches, that's a chore. It's a chore. I'm trying to, it's I'm trying right. to hear three and then hear the pitches that point back to it. When yeah. you want to know something else about this, if I play just these pitches and I play twinkle, you know, the pitches that point back, that points, I'm in F here. This points to F. That points. If I add up all the pitches that point to F melodically, not harmonically, right. I end up getting that G minor triad or a C triad, the two and the five. Yeah. So, so it's, for me, it's not a chicken and egg thing, which came first, the chords or, or the, uh, or right. The it's the melodies. There's yeah. no, doubt about it. no doubt about it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When I was playing with Bach, we did not have chord changes. Right. Right. You know, so, um, so, um, so that's, that's, that's the way I'm going to break down your training is we're going to find three pitches first. Yeah, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. I, now the, uh, the tube cells at Lowe's and, and Home Depot <laughs> are going to go up significantly later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. You have to, uh, you have to cut them the right length. Like I have, um, when I'm working with string players, we were playing the key of G. So I have a, a link that's in G. This was in F for when I'm playing with horn players because they like the flat keys. And yeah. you can stretch it and kind of tune it if you <laughs> You're cracking me up, man. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Okay, how about this one? Okay, here's here's one that I think um, gets ignored way, way, way too much. The importance of history. Hmm. Yeah, I have an, I have another one over here. I'm going to get to that. I think it's really important. If you let me. Oh, I sure will. Um, history, boy. You know. I was, uh, my study of history was not such a, I didn't do it right. When I first started playing piano, the first records I got were mild smiles. Can you imagine starting there? Like, wow. yeah, you, you know, skipped a lot of stuff there, man. Heard, well, I mean, it was just, I was the mid 60s or 70s right. or something like that. Yeah. And someone handed me that record and, yeah, and Herb well. Hancock was so confused about what to play that he didn't even play sometimes. 
Right. I, I've actually talked to him about this, you know? Oh, wow. And he goes, man, I, I, I told Miles I didn't know what to play. And Miles said, then don't play. <laughs> and, <laughs> don't and so he left big blanks. And sometimes he's just playing with his right hand because he wasn't sure what to do in, in court. I'm, you know, this is Herbie Hancock and he's a genius. Oh, my goodness. So I kind of had right. to work my way back you know, to Red Garland and I'm from Dallas and I didn't know Red Garland. Right. right. Oh my goodness. Right. And what well, he'd moved back kind of after this period, but, um, and you know, went and Kelly and then, and Bud and, and of course, Bill, I mean, uh, but you know, I kind of had to work my way back through history to find these things. Um, um, so yeah, it is important to know where you're coming from. And I still look back at some of those players from the early jazz days and think, man, we are not worthy. Correct. You know, right. You know? Right. So, yeah, and all, I, all, you know, and then as a classical piano player, which I was for, for a while there, you know, just how much there is to learn from that history, too. So it didn't start with Bud Powell or, you know, right. or Ted, uh, you know. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Right. And I, and I tend to think that, you know, the, you know, the study of history is, is actually a pretty darn good um, blueprint. Mm-hmm right a, a developmental blueprint for us as as musicians you know um, so i try to encourage my students to get very comfortable with history to go back to these to the early jazz fathers if you will right, and, right. and 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 begin listening and listen forward and keep listening forward you yeah, know yeah. so okay um improvisation somebody wants to learn how to improvise how do they begin? Um, I'm, I'm going to go back to the tube again. Okay. I, I'm really serious because if they can find those, those notes on their instrument, they've got under their fingers literally thousands of melodies, folk songs, Christmas songs. Correct. Right. Um, standards like I've just played, you know. Right. They're all, they're all right here. Right there, right. Uh, Days of Wine and Roses, Twinkle Twinkle. And, and right. it gives them a simple framework to just go like, I'm not going to worry about chord changes. I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm just going to try to create some melodies. I'm Correct. To to play a folk song that no one's ever heard before, but, but it has the components of these things. Correct. And then um, um, step from there. So that's where I'm going to start, you know. And right. I've had, I've taught Suzuki camps where, you know, my okay. advanced sure. improv sure. were a bunch of 11-year-old kids. And, right. <laughs> and we improvised there based on Twinkle or the songs in the Twinkle book. You know, the, right. the first right and they play around the melody and they've played clementi and they've played bach and they played some some mozart sonatina things and um, and they are able to incorporate some of that vocabulary because like they've played it before right so uh they'll add things that you don't even have to suggest to do there's no reason they can't even play some chromatic notes because they've they right. can hear White Christmas or right. the town of Bethlehem. They're, they're, they're chromatic notes there. Right. And they can hear where they want to point. Um, so fundamentally still back to the tube. And then all the harmony comes off that tube anyway, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I don't want to get too deep with that. Um, I mean, because I could get really deep with that. But Yeah. You know, and you know, with it, well, you know, too, with the improv and the ear training kind of, you know, uh, linking those two together, you know, quite often students, I think, have... Uh, you know, it's kind of an intimidating thing for a lot of students, you know, the ear, you know, they, whether they hear things or, you know, and, and I always, I always encourage them. I always go like, look, you, you have great ears, you have great ears and you're, you're, you're going to be able to pick this up quickly if you exercise those ears and, and they go, well, how do I, how do you know I have good ears? And I always go like, well, look, I'm, I'm going to test you. I'm going to say something and you won't even have to hear, you don't have to hear, you don't have to have that sound here present to hear it. You'll, you'll just hear it. And, and they go, okay, I say, I go dog barking. And they all smile and they, they go, yes, I hear a dog bark. I said, you don't need a dog here, right? You, you hear dog barking. Yeah. And they go, yes. I go, now I'm going to even be even more specific. Tiny dog barking. Yeah. How about big dog barking, right? Yeah. That if they can differentiate, my point being is if, if you can start, if you can differentiate between daily sounds, sounds that you hear daily, that if you dive in musically, you can start differentiating and hearing musical sound. Right. I'll take that analogy back to even pitches then. Now you're trying to imagine, have them imagine a sound, but even a musical sentence could be that dog bark. Correct. Dog barking idea. So dog and bark, right? 
all those notes are just a way of describing the dog. All those ways are describing how he's barking, right? You're right. Right. So there I'm I'm embellishing like two notes. I'm only thinking of two notes or only thinking of one note, but how do I want to say that one note? I want to say it like that. I want to say it like, I want to say it like this. Like that. Right. And all I'm thinking is just F or something. Correct. Correct. I'm starting with the tube. Even my college kids, I still go back to that that business because that's where Charlie Parker started his solo on, you know. So it's, if it's yeah. good enough for him, it's going to work good for enough. us. Right, no doubt. If we are really getting a, like a step or two deeper, we're having to deal with chord changes. And we are in jazz. We have to deal with like secondary keys almost right off the bat. You know? Correct, right. So a lot of people are worried about all of the notes that they have to worry about when it reaches that secondary key. Right. And usually there is one and possibly two pitches that they need to worry about and not a whole scale. Yeah, right. So what I mean, um, now that you ask. <laughs> <laughs> so that's C major going to an E7 chord. Well, E7 is not in the key of C, right? Right. So I do, right. Oh, my God. What key are we in? Well, we're, we're just going point to A minor for a minute. So right. we're just relax. <laughs> right. One note changes. Right. And that's the guy you should aim for. That's like the doorway to this room. Is yeah, that that's right. Chord. Right. And then the next chord, um, you know, um, well, it's an A7. Well, A7 is pointing to D minor. There's two notes that Correct. differentiate the key of C major, which is no sharps and flats. Right. D minor, which is one flat. Right. Old school notation, you know. Right, right, on. right. So I got to get one flat in there and also have to get the leading tone. Correct. So... that's going to come and if i want if if i'm an improviser and i want you to hear d minor and i've got a bass player playing the d what is one note that's going to do it there's i got 12 pitches but one note i don't want to play a d the bass player's got that an a and big right right Right. Right. in fact is if i play an a i'm I'm probably going to hear an f sharp ringing in the air correct right i'm going to play an f correct so these are not like artistic choices as much as those are the doorways <laughs> right. this is what the, those symbols mean up there find that one pitch that works yeah right very you good can find, you can find yeah. a million ways to get there yeah that's very good yes so i'm looking for this one pitch at a time kind of things that really identify it and then i have to then i make an artistic decision how do i want to get there right or do i want to give it to you right when you expect it or do right. i want to hide it and make you wait for it and go ah that was a there yeah, there it is. Right. That's the art. Yeah, that is. Right. But, uh, you know, D major has an F sharp. That's not art. That's just fact. <laughs> <laughs> That's musical fact. Yeah. All right. So awesome. What about, um, okay, how about transcriptions? You hear people talk about transcriptions all the time. Uh, what are do's and don'ts of transcriptions? Because there are do's and don'ts to approaching transcriptions. What are they? Well, I hope I get them right. It seems like you know, <laughs> you know what you want me to say. Well, um, I I know what I would say, but I'm I'm curious what you would say. All right. The first thing you need to do is try to find the most difficult solo you can possibly imagine that goes on for seven minutes and transcribe every note. No. <laughs> That's not what I would say. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. What I meant to say was that's where a lot of people think they have to start. You know? That's what, I, well, exactly, right? So, so I tell a kid, you've been listening to a record for a while, and there's probably one line you just like, you can't live without. Right. Oh, man, that is so cool. That's the line to transcribe. It may be two measures, it may be four measures long. Don't worry about the whole record or the whole side, but that's the one that attracts you. And that right. is also kind of reflective of what maybe your musical voice is because right. that line attracts you. I right. may listen to that same recording and be attracted to this line over here. Correct. Right. Something totally so different. These little fragments. Um, and from that little fragment, it's like digging up pottery, archaeological pottery, right? I don't know the whole civilization, but maybe I can kind of figure out some things from just this little fragment instead of digging up everything. So from this little fragment, which, well, in that once, the one I've already used is that Charlie Parker example, I found the notes of the tube. I found that he used some chromatic notes to get to the notes of the tube. Well, that is going to do me more good than trying to transcribe 128 measures of Clifford Brown at 300. Correct. Right. Uh, So I could take that little idea 
I'm presuming this is a, the Parker thing. I was doing uh, and put it in every key. I can figure out, well, will it work in minor? Will it work, you know, upside down, you know? Uh, right. Oh, in fact, as it does. So, <laughs> right. so then I've, I've taken one day, I've transcribed one measure of music and practiced it upside down and backwards. Now, yeah, what am I doing? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, all in an effort to discover you. Right, exactly. And what have I done? I've not only developed my technique on the instrument because I'm playing in many keys and practicing chops. This is way more fun than just practicing up and down the scales now. I'm practicing a little motive idea. And by extracting what I think it means, I'm learning how to develop a musical idea. Correct. Separate from I'm going to plug in this lick every time blues comes up. See, that's just it, right? That, there's where I'm getting at. A lot of times, so many people approach transcription as I'm going to learn a lick that I can drop kick into Days and Wine, Wine and Roses. And, and, and I, I go like, good luck with that. Yeah. You, good, well, good luck with that. But I do think sometimes that maybe is a part of the process, maybe not on the gig, but it's a part of a process to drop kick these transcriptions into a lot of tunes so you can see kind of like how it works. And also they'll find out that just knowing they're going to drop kick it into this tune is not so easy it's because not. they usually wait until the end of four to start thinking about what, <laughs> right. what they want to play on one, but that also teaches them something. So there's a, there's a, right. I think there's some good in trying to plug it in, in some kind of way, but I think there's also a good thing. So to summarize, I'm going to transcribe something exactly. I'm going to transcribe it literally, but then I'm going to transcribe it conceptually. What's going on. Here. That's right. That's Charlie right. Parker is playing an arpeggio with some chromatic right. passing tones to get to it. That is right. even a bigger process. No doubt. And, and, and it stretches like this. Right. And, and I, I can't play without plugging those ideas in. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And I always just try to encourage students that, you know, really the study of a, the study of transcriptions is is the journey to discover you. Yeah. It's it, it's it, don't get it turned around that you're trying to discover Bill Evans. You're going to yeah. use Bill Evans to discover you. Yeah. And and. Um, and I think if you approach it that way, you know, it's kind of like I had a teacher one time say to me, uh, Bob, you, you this was funny because I was just a kid and my, my heart sunk to my feet. He said, Bob, he goes, you want because he wanted me to transcribe. He wanted me to look at some Oscar Peterson stuff. Right. And I and I said, you know, I don't you know, and I was going like, I don't know, you know, I, you know, I don't want to end up sounding like Oscar Peterson. And he cracked up laughing and he goes like this. He goes, Bob, he goes, I want to tell you right now. He said, you will never, ever sound like Oscar Peterson. <laughs> And, and, and my heart sunk to my feet. And then, and then, but here's what he said that was so beautiful right afterwards. And he said, and Bob, he said, Oscar Peterson will never, ever sound like you. There you go. <laughs> so this is about finding you. Yeah. You know? I, I will say as an academically oriented person, I've transcribed a lot of complete solos. Right. And the advantage to that, after transcribing bits and pieces that are really attractive and trying to develop them on your own, is that you get to see kind of how uh, Dexter Gordon, Bill Evans, or Charlie Parker develop an idea over a whole framework. And then right. it, it, it's not always about these specific notes, but kind of the gestures that they're making, or they're right. playing a lot of really fast notes here, and it's really specific to the harmony. They're not playing fast notes, and that's not very specific to the harmony, and how this kind of works together to tell a whole story. Right, right. And I, I'm going to tell you, too, I've transcribed, like, uh, what is the tune? How My Heart Sings, for instance. You know, mm -hmm. the Bill Evans yep. recorded that right. several times. So right. I've set about to transcribe every time he plays it that I have a wow. recording. Of. Now, the purpose, I'm not learning a, a whole lot new about how to play this tune, but it's interesting to me, just academically, is to, to, to line it up and see right. the structure. And uh, he doesn't always on any tune play the same changes. In fact, because I have other tunes that I've transcribed and I have like wow. eight versions of his harmony. So when people go, those aren't the right changes to a tune, I, I pull this out and I go, this is Bill Evans playing this one tune. And every time he chooses a different harmonic path. I hate Bill Evans. Yeah, yeah <laughs> of course. And, and uh, but you know, there, it's also interesting to me academically maybe uh, to see how much of the same material he has worked out Right. And, and, and this is kind of the, the kind yeah, of thing good. I'm going to do in these measures. And this is the kind of thing I'm going to do in that second chorus that really makes it 
climactic. And then you hear the one recording where he just screwed it up. I mean, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll do respect to Bill, but some of those nights, uh, bad substances were getting in the way, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, right. you could tell that, that maybe some substance abuse had, had kind of taken over and he got things out of order. And he mm -hmm. went to the second course idea way too early and there was nothing left. And it was, oh, you know, boy. I, I don't, I don't really mean to bring that up. So that's a, that's a don't. <laughs> right. That's a don't. Right. Yeah. Right. But it was, uh, it is interesting to me at this point to kind of look and see what was alike and what was different and how it developed yeah, that's, over years. Yeah. That's, that's very fascinating. I've done that with students, you know, like using like a recording of Oscar Peterson playing sweet Georgia Brown in 1970, mm -hmm. him playing sweet Georgia Brown in 1980, him playing sweet Georgia Brown in 1990 and seeing and hearing the similarities, how much of this is how Oscar Peterson plays sweet Georgia Brown. This is right. how he likes to approach this. Team. Yeah. It'd be hard to even get to the second recording. Cause after one, I kind of want to quit piano. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's so true, man. It's so true. Okay. Here is maybe the toughest one of the day, and it's the last one. This is I got it. one in case this is not the one. Okay, well let's go to your let's go to yours real quick. I think accompanying oh. is the thing that gets talked about the least of all, and it's the thing we do one hundred percent of the time. Yes, yes, and that's on right. On a gig, I'm playing. I'm accompanying every. I even accompany drum solos. I feel yeah. like the drummer's got to keep the form, and there's certain kicks and things in the tune Correct. that. Are, Right. That I want to come together. Most of my drummers really like it. We set this stuff up, even in their right. drum solos. Right. When it comes to the piano solo, I'm accompanying myself. Right. So I think that um, that's right. We could probably spend, as far as I'm concerned, like a whole um, session just talking about. I'm going to have you know what? I'm going to I'm going to have you back on. We're going to talk about that's going to be the topic. All right. So I'll I'll leave it at that, and I will I will really yeah. address that because I have very specific things to say about. A yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have you back. We're going to we're going to set up a date after we get done with this one. And and I cuz that is fascinating. I think you're right. That is totally that, you know, that's so much neglected that you in fact you don't even hear anybody talk about it. Right. You so know. I'd be happy to do that. That'd be awesome, Bert. And, okay, um, the, the yeah, the last one that I had, the last one I had I had is the abstract concept. It's it's not really abstract, but it it is it's hard. Time. <laughs> time yes <laughs> should, we oh, set up another, come up. <laughs> should we set up another episode for that time time so do's and don'ts some pearls of wisdom some pearls of wisdom from bert to jazz piano skills listeners about time the awareness of time the development of time the practicing of time yeah <clears throat> everything that has to do with music has to do with time, even pitches. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That pitch is defined by how many times it vibrates a second, you know? Correct. I know that's kind of, that's abstract, but uh, right. and, and music only happens in time. You know, it's like there's a beginning and it happens over time. The, the, we can talk about harmony all day long, but harmony dictates how we feel a time. Right. Right. So, um, right. You know I'm in 3-4 without a conductor being there because right. I'm playing the chords every three beats. You feel right. this event happen every three beats. Right. If I take harmony and I just say, oh, it's uh, it's one, six, two, and five, and just mix them in any kind of order, we don't get a sense of time. Right. You put them in the right order, and in this phrase, one feels like it's here, this feels like it's here. It right. sets up the, the, the feel of the music. Right. And that, these are bigger pictures of time. Right. I think about the form of a tune as... When we talk about subdivision, we usually talk about like eighth notes being subdivided in a quarter. It's like, I right. talk about the tune. <laughs> this is A-A-B-A. -A -A. This is beat three of the tune. Right. And if I walk into a club and they're playing rhythm changes, I can tell that they're on the second A Right. Because these guys are playing it different than they play it here or here. Yeah, so good. And so eight measure phrases feel like different beats to a more yes. a, a mature player. We sense this. We're not right. just playing in this measure or something. Correct. So before we even get to eighth notes, we're looking at bigger things. And then the eighth note, well, that's the hardest thing in the world. It's the, it's the last thing to come. A guy can understand a super locrian scale long before they yeah. really get maybe the, the time feel. I'm still working on time feel, you know? Correct. I'm still very yep. critical right. of how... I established the time 
man, that, you just opened a big can of worms here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, will you be thinking about that because we should have an episode on time too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, we'll do an episode on time. Yeah. So I, what is that practice time? You know, you talked a minute ago about having them not play with their, their left hand and just playing yeah. melodies. Right. There's another exercise I thought of at the time is I, you know, tell them to put something in their hand over here and play the whole tune just accompanying themselves first. Yes. Like if this guy's not giving me the time, not much this is going to do to help. That is but, correct. Um, I play really slow. People have talked about that. I practice really slowly. If I'm going to play rhythm changes. We played a gig the other night and we were playing Cherokee because it was a oh, Charlie right. Parker tribute at, right. at, at like 320. That's just brisk, man. But I practice this stuff painfully slow, like maybe at 60. Yeah. Like where right. it's almost like the matrix where everything's in slow motion. Right, right. But I want to feel like the kind of way things feel. And, you know, so right. I practice at different tempos. Right. I practice slowly. I'm, I'm very critical of, of how these notes feel. I right. think it's um, the time feel of jazz has, has less to do with like if a note is swinging or whether what, who's getting the accent and who's louder and who's softer. This has a lot more to do with feel than anything else. I'm just right. kind of like hitting these high points of things. So you could play a line and play all the notes correctly. And it's not going to sound like Oscar Peterson because right. Oscar's putting, he's accented, he's hammering the snot out of some of those notes. And some of those notes are like not even really there, you know? And, and that's what makes it feel so good. That's that time right. feel that he's got. Right. You know? Right. A, a long time ago, a classical piano player told me that he thought he knew someone who could play all that Oscar stuff without all the accents. And I'm going, <laughs> oh, oh, so he completely missed the point. It was as if, as if it all had to be like, there was some flaw in the magic because he was accenting polyrhythms and stuff. No. So yeah, wow. I work on time. I practice with a metronome. There are times in, in, in lessons we work on uh, uh, yeah. actually beating rhythms. Right, right. And feeling two pulses, and we'll have to stop playing piano and play pat a cake for a while to, right. to really get the sense of where these things happen right. without right. thinking about notes. Um, uh, we, you know, with the more mature players, we're talking about how to punctuate the form rhythmically so we right. know where we are. So it just doesn't yeah. feel like AA, just a bunch of A's. Correct, right. That's a, that's a great point, right? You, you know, yeah. we yeah. should be able to, with mature players, you should be able to walk into the room and know exactly where in the form they are. Yeah, because you walk in a room, the concert band's playing, you know where beat one is without looking yep. at the conductor because the music Cor doing Correct. something that does that. Cor Correct. So, Correct. There's, it's, there's it's, so it's, much. When yeah. I'm transcribing those excerpts, that's the other thing to try to get is like, how are they playing? Yeah. You know? yeah. It's not just a matter of lining up the eighth notes and playing yeah. them in the right order. Yeah. Like one of them's going to get an accent and one of them's maybe not. One of them's yeah. going to get slurred and one of them's going to get, you know, not. If, we're, <laughs> if I'm transcribing sax or trumpet player, they're tonguing that. How do I translate that to the piano? Oh, right. Exactly it's, right. There's no such thing as legato. We're either a hammer yeah. hit a string or it right. didn't. Right. But we can right. fake it and make you a sense that we're breathing. These, Correct. You know, that's what that makes. That's what's challenging about the piano, right? Yeah. It's it's I tell students all the time it's probably the least intimate instrument we have. I mean, it's a box right with with buttons on it that you're pushing. You know, it's not like it's not like a sax player who actually puts something into his mouth. That's pretty darn intimate, right? Yeah, and you know what's great about sax? Not much, but <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm sorry, the joke. It was just sitting there, <laughs> right? It was. What they have is they are actually breathing into their instrument. Correct. And that gives it such a human thing that the piano players sometimes will miss because we're really just making hammers hit strings. That's what I'm saying, right? right. It's so, just so sometimes I, I really make them sing, you know, uh, right. and breathe. People in the improv class years ago, they go, every time before you start a line, you take a breath. Yes. I go, yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm yeah. doing this. I'm right. You're breathing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, well that's I, fabulous. So look, questions and I, I, I'm going to update all my answers and post it online later. Okay, great. Well, speaking of online, where can jazz piano students go to learn more about you? I know it's bertligan.com, right? Bertligan music, bertligan music, bertligan And yeah. you, you have resources there, your books, uh, links to get your books. There are links to, uh, I think you have, um, etudes uh for, for students to access uh, to 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 purchase and to utilize and practicing what 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 else can they find there 
uh, I've written a lot of music for different ensembles. So there's links about big band charts and a lot of string ensemble stuff because there was a niche for that. People weren't right. getting that. So um, uh, there's probably links to some of the university sites where I have a thousand transcriptions up, you know, okay. that I've done or my students have done Fantastic. Other, other things. And I'm the kind of guy, if you have a question, email me, at, I'll answer it at one thirty in the morning. Sometimes, you know, I get, I literally get emails from all over the world and they're always surprised that I'm answering them back. You know, like they'll ask <laughs> me some question on, on page 37 of the book, you know, you say this, but I don't know what you mean or, or what yeah. record does that lick from, you know, and I'm, and, and they'll, I'll answer them back and, you know, like one thirty in the morning, they're going like, what? <laughs> Bert never sleeps, man. Bert, you've, yeah. you've never slept. I don't think you've slept since 1984, man. No, 85. man. No. <laughs> no, I tell you, I haven't slept. I used to throw the Dallas Morning News paper out when I was 12. <laughs> okay, there you go. See? And I've not slept well since then. You know, <laughs> up at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> The old paper route, man. I had to, I had a morning paper route too, but mine was up in the Chicago area, man. It was Ooh, cold. It okay. was cold. You win. <laughs> yeah, I win there. I win that one, man. So, uh, so BertLigginMusic.com. I can't encourage all all you jazz piano skills listeners check it out. If you are not familiar with Bert Ligon, you need to be familiar with Bert Ligon immediately. Get to his website. Check out his books, his materials. It's a resource, uh, a wealth a wealth of information that is at your fingertips, uh, ready to help you with your jazz journey in becoming an accomplished jazz pianist and becoming an accomplished musician, period. So check out BertLigginMusic.com. Bert, Thank what you. a joy it has been to spend time with you and to talk music. I, I literally, we could do this all day long. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. day long. It's it's been a joy and I'm going to have you back on man. We're going to set up a date to have you back on to, to discuss some of these topics, especially the the accompaniment that is fabulous. So um, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been it's been a joy. Thank you sir.